Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And today we're going to be interviewing authors of what we consider significant cookbooks. Uh, first up is um, one of our favorite people in the world, Dory Greenspan, and her latest book called Everyday Dory, The Way I Cook. Oh, okay. You woke me, you woke me up there. I was I was getting in a nap before New Year, before the New Year's. Don't for, don't forget we sh- we need to remind everybody that uh, the day after tomorrow is 2019. My God, time flies when you're having fun. And in the meantime, here's Dory Greenspan. I get excited every time I know that Dory Greenspan has produced another cookbook. And this one I'm particularly fond of, Dory Greenspan, because it's sort of the way you cook yourself at home. Everyday Dory, the way I cook. And I, I, I find, first of all, I've said this every time we have an interview, I trust your recipes, which is something that I can't say about everybody. But they work. You couldn't. You couldn't say anything nicer to me. Thank you. Well, this is not. This is not as common as you might think. It's fairly rare. <laughs> now, you mentioned in, in uh, I guess, your acknowledgments or somewhere about your long-time recipe tester. What about yes. her? So, um, Mary Dodd. We've yeah. been together for. Oh, I don't know, that's seven years now, I think, maybe more. So when I work on a recipe, I cook, 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 and then I write the recipe. And I test, I, I do a lot of testing. I want, I want home cooks to be successful with my recipes. When I have the recipe just the way I think it should be, then I send it to Mary Dodd. And Mary retests the recipe using, um, you know, her own ingredients, her own oven. So it means that it's getting, the recipe's getting a test in another home um, as though, you know, well, it is. Mary's a home cook, another home cook cooking it. And so then she'll come back to me, and if she has any questions, we'll go over them, we'll taste together. So all of the recipes are tested several times. Well, I mean, they work. And, and the other thing is that I like is... You were authentic in the sense that you have the same recipe, but you allow it to evolve, you experiment, and it develops. And, I mean, it's it's a creative thing that you're encouraging your home cook to do, but you do it yourself. Oh, exactly. So I have always, I, I teasingly say that the only reason I can, a book of mine gets published is because my editor calls and says, deadline, turn it in, <laughs> because I would be I would be playing with a recipe endlessly. I, if I have a recipe I like, I, you know, as I said, I write it, I get it, you know, solid, but I don't stop thinking about it. So I always have these what-if moments. What if I were to change one of those ingredients? What if I were to add something else? And so... That's the way I work in the kitchen. So the, what I do in my book is I get the recipe to 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 be solid, 
And then I add a little section called playing around. Yes. And my hope is that it will encourage home cooks to do what I do in the kitchen, to think what if, to think about, oh, you know, I don't have... um, I don't have chicken for this dish. Or maybe I can use pork. Yes. Or I don't have squid. I'll use shrimp. Mm-hmm. Or to just realize that a recipe can be stretched and can be played with. Well, you know, I, I was laughing when you talked about this chicken dish with the cornbread that, that your husband yeah. liked. And, and you, you found the original recipe and the joy of cooking. The idea of you <laughs> starting out not knowing anything. You said you were, you needed, you're really basically a, a newcomer, a newbie, newbie, I guess we call it. And using exactly. the joy of cooking to make this recipe, but you've worked on it over the years, so you have a sophisticated version of it, this book. Look, it's, you know, so many recipes have good bones. They're really good ideas, and they just need a little update. You know, our tastes change. We're exposed to new flavors. We have the opportunity to buy new ingredients. And so it's fun to take something that seems old-fashioned. It's fun to take something that's a classic and just play with it a little bit and bring it up to the 21st century. And my husband was so happy that I did that. It has been years since I've made that for him. And it was really, it was fun. It's a dish he really likes. <laughs> now, talk, talking about history, t- tell our listeners why eating mess is served on the 4th of June. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you eat mess. Um, why is it served on the 4th of June? You know, I don't know you why don't know, it's the 4th by goodness. of June. I, you know, I. This is one of those things that um, it, it was just a tradition at the British um, boarding school, and but this is another example of a recipe that I what ifed that I played around with. So the original, as near as I can tell, the original Eaton mess has three components: meringue, strawberries, and whipped cream. And I, because. Um, Strawberries and rhubarb were in the market at the same time. Thought I would make an eaten mess using both of those fruits. So I made a little rhubarb compote and added some strawberries. And it was delicious. I also do something funny with the meringue. Um, I crush those Biscoff cookies, you know, the spice speculous cookies, and I fold it into the meringue. So you get the surprise. I love when there's a surprise in a dish. You get the surprising flavor um, in the meringue that you expect to be just sweet. And I'm going to, I'm going to, ma- I'm going to look it up, but I, I think it, it, it might be that it's served on the day when they celebrate Eden by a game called the War Game, which is, which is well, played between you, houses of students, and nobody, nobody can remember how you score. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, as, so as a result, nobody's actually scored a goal in the world game for something for something like a hundred years. But it's a particular it's a particular game. It's not played it's not played anywhere else. And uh, and for that, you get this delicious dessert. You forget you get a dessert that won't quit. Right. No. no. So, so you know, but after I made this dessert, I loved the components of it, and I loved the idea of it. I loved the way 
you can construct it to be fancy or menu. You can do it like a trifle. You can put it in a coop. You can just fold the ingredients together. Then I thought, wouldn't it be nice if there were a fall-winter version of the Eaton Mess? And so I kept the meringue and I kept the whipped cream. And instead of rhubarb and strawberries, I did lemon curd and a quickly made cranberry jam. Now let me make, let me make a let me temerity make a suggestion because yes. because it's, it was the tradition at my college, St Catherine's yes. College, Cambridge, that on Sunday, every Sunday, dessert was called cabinet pudding, <laughs> <laughs> and ca- cabinet pudding consisted of leftover. Pudding from all the from the six days of the week that had just expired, <laughs> with, with with the most horrendous tasting fruit sauce poured all over. It. <laughs> but, but but I know the derivation. The derivation is interesting because there was a British Prime Minister in the very early 19th century called Lord Liverpool, and Lo- Lord Liverpool said something like, "I'm not very smart, but I'm going to assemble a cabinet of all the." great brains that I know. So all the best political and historical brains that exist in my country, I will invite them to join my cabinet, and cabinet government was launched. Ah, the best and the brightest. The best, and the, the, best and the, bright, the best and the brightest, all making a contribution. Cabinet pudding. No, it's, 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 not, it's, not very, it's not very clear that cabinet pudding really succeeds. <laughs> but but Lord, Lord Liverpool's government succeeded. Oh, I love when when there's a history um, yes. to a dessert, when there's a store you know, to a to a recipe, and I think that not of course not every every recipe has such a such a good story or a good history, but I think that that we when we're cooking make our own stories around recipes, and I'm always happy when I'm working on a recipe that has a story. You mentioned um, things that I, I mean, you know how many years I've been at this. <laughs> you know, and I actually never knew what Meunier meant. <laughs> I didn't. What, what oh, I never did. Miller's wife, right? Right, so it's the Miller's wife. So when you oh, okay. have, like, Sol, Sol Meunier is the most famous, yeah, that's right. a dish that's, um, that's breaded, dipped, dredged in flour before it's cooked. It's called Meunier, and it's the Miller's, you know, yeah. um, the Miller who would have made flour. Yeah. Miller's I mean, wife. I associated it with butter, but I didn't really get this, the point of the vernier and the flour. I, I, I was, the, yeah, you, the breading of it. Yeah, you have a number of, of, of things like that because you do dig deep into these uh, recipes. Um, to give an idea of your um, evolution, you have right at the front you know, my newest gougere because you like to start off all your your um, dinner parties or whatever with gougere, and we know it yes. as a standard classic recipe. But how do you add surprise in yours? Well, I um, so gougere cream puffs, uh, cheese puffs rather, but they're made with the same dough you would make a cream puff, and I have been making them the same way for maybe 20 years, and I started playing with them by adding a little mustard that just brings up the flavor of the cheese, and then I don't know where the whim came from or when, I started adding chopped nuts, 
And it turns out that the nuts are a great addition to the gougere. And they're fun because they're a surprise, they're unexpected, and they have just a little bit of chew and crunch that that changes the the play of textures in the in the gougere. So those are my newest gougeres. Yeah, well, you, what, what, you pay what, a lot of attention to texture, I think, in all your recipes. Hold on a second. Let's ask you a question. What, what kind of mustard do you use? Oh, she uses mustard in everything. What kind? So I use both. Um, I use Dijon mustard in it. So I use a, a, a kind of spicy mustard. Yeah, see, see, to me, if you, if you want to eat British sausages and black pudding, the mustard you must use is English mustard. The, are you talking this, about like brown mustard or the hot Coleman's the powder? Hot, the, hot, the, hot col, the hot Coleman's powder made momentarily before you start serving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I guess you could. I hadn't thought about that. I was thinking Gouchere or uh, French, but you could probably sprinkle a little of that Coleman's powder right into the dough, and that would be good. You could, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and one of the reasons I use so much mustard is when I was working on these recipes, I was living in, um, in, in rural Connecticut. So I'm about an hour round trip from, um, a quart of milk. And so this book, I really had to rely on supermarket ingredients. I didn't have, you know, when I wrote Around My French Table, which is my other, you know, soup to dessert book, I was writing about French food. And I was living part-time in Paris where, you know, there were beautiful open-air markets and specialty shops. But here in Connecticut, um, I don't have those resources. Right. And so the ingredients in Everyday Dory are very basic. And I really depended on what I had in my pantry and my cupboard on the door of my refrigerator, um, all of these things to bring the kinds of flavors that I love into very simple recipes. Well, you know, I mean, your pantry and your your larder and your fridge and whatever <laughs> is certainly more than several cuts above most people's. <laughs> it's, it, it, well, you have your, your um, uh, that's a whole section of your pantry. And you have a lot of interesting ingredients in your pantry, Dory. You know, but here, it, it, so I bought, I bought gochujang, which is the Korean chili paste. It's kind of hot, kind of sweet. And I bought it for I don't know what recipe and did what I've always done, and I think most home cooks do, put it on the refrigerator door and forgot about it. I have the same thing and in my refrigerator door. We actually have two kinds. Two kinds. Two kinds of <laughs> An opposite, exactly in the door, is Vietnamese fish sauce. <laughs> well, and so in working on these recipes, I used what I had. And I used gochujang in um, a, a salmon riette, so a spread of smoked salmon. It's a mix of smoked salmon and quickly poached salmon. And it is French, but I made it Asian with the addition of gochujang, and I used it again. I was making a beef stew where I was marinating beef cubes in red wine, and as I went to put 
the beef into the refrigerator to marinate overnight, I saw that jar of gochujang. And I thought, wouldn't that be good with red wine? (laughs) And so I added that and some soy sauce. And the stew went from France to Asia. So it was because I I had these ingredients Mm -hmm. and because they were on the door of the refrigerator that so many of these recipes developed and they have so many interesting flavors. But again, they're flavors that from ingredients that are truly basic and available you know, at, at, at the local supermarket. Well, one of my most favorite sections of the book is that section, what do you call it now? Uh, let's see. Where, what's, what your lemon goop is, that section? Oh, basics and transformers. That's the key word, transformers. Uh, tell us about these. You know, I'm so glad you said that. I, I'm always afraid that readers won't look at the back of the book because it doesn't have pictures. Um, but there are always some gems back there. And there are a couple of recipes in this section that I really love and that I hope cooks won't, won't overlook. So this is the section that has tart dough and basic vinaigrette and pie dough. But it also has the lemon goop. Yeah, talk, tell us about, about that. Yeah, so, I mean, that's something uh, I'm going to make, by the way. Oh, I please make it. I think you'll love it. So instead of, I see, I love preserved lemons, and they're not easy to find where I am. When you find them, they're very expensive. You can make them at home, but you have to plan ahead. I know, and I'm not so good at that. Yeah. So this is a mix of. Lemon. Some of them are um, have the the rind and the pith still on them. Others have been peeled, and I cook the lemon chopped up in a syrup of sugar, salt, and water, and I cook it until the lemon just falls apart. Strain the solids. The syrup that you get from that makes a terrific vinaigrette. It's also good. It lasts almost forever. So you can keep it on your fridge door. You can add it to um, marinades. You can swipe it over a chicken breast that's just come out of the, the, the oven. And you can also make the goop. This is my favorite part. You take the solids, add a little bit of that syrup, and whir it around um, in a blender. And what you get is almost a jam. It's shiny. Tart from the lemons, really sharp, also a little salty and a little sweet. And this is truly a transformer. If um, I have a recipe for scallops that are... Oh, I love that um, recipe, yes. Right? right. And that the last, as soon as they come off the skillet, you just give them a swipe of the lemon goop. You can use... I have a friend who said to me that if you were forced to eat your flip-flops, if you put some lemon goop on them, they taste great. <laughs> it's truly, it's become a real basic um, for me. Well, you know, the other thing I think about, your, your recipes are all balanced. You're a firm believer in a squeeze of lemon juice if you need it, a dash of salt, right? 
Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's really makes a difference between. You know, and you, you, as a cook, you get used to doing that. You, you, you realize that it's important to just taste at every stage, and sometimes just at the very end, a squeeze of lemon juice, as you said, will change everything. It just brightens all the flavors. That's what I think. I'm a firm believer in that one. And, you know, I thought it was unusual that your index, you said nobody looks at the back of the book. You have pictures in your index. I think that's... So that was was a great surprise for me because I hadn't seen... The design of the index oh. until I didn't until I got my my first copy of the book oh. and um, oh I love that Thank I do too that out. I just think indices are the, absolutely the most boring things in the whole world and, and book design and then I was so pleasantly surprised to see your pictures. I know I have a beautiful index and I'm happy. Yes, <laughs> you do, and you have a wonderful photographer too because these are, are beautiful. Ellen Silverman. It was a great. It was a great team. It yeah. was, they were wonderful to work with. Yeah. And you know, we shouldn't thank you. Forget to mention. I mean, you are known for your rep- desserts and pastries and baking, and so uh, nobody will be dis. Your fans will not be disappointed in in your dessert section. Uh, what are some of your favorites of of these? Well, I have I have only favorites here, but. The banana, um, last of the bunch banana bun oh, is a yes. really good cake. I'm excited about it. I was really happy when, when this worked out. I, um, the triple layer parsnip and cranberry. Oh, that was cake. another one I noticed because I can readily, um, see parsnips working into that kind of recipe. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, if you think about a carrot cake, Carrots and parsnips sure. are, 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 are cousins. And I was wanted to do a new carrot cake and thought I would do half carrot, half parsnip, which I did. And then the parsnips were so good, I thought these can really stand on their own. Yes. And the recipe is interesting because the cake layers themselves are, you know, classic, um, like a carrot cake. But they, I put coriander in them, which is a nice that you don't often get um, solo. So it, there's coriander, there's ginger, there's orange zest, and pecans. Um, and then I folded in some chopped fresh cranberries. That's great, too. The filling and frosting is like a carrot cake frosting. It's a cream cheese um, frosting. And then I thought, hmm, that cranberry, so good, that tartness with the sweet parsnips that I made a cranberry jam and put it between the layers. So it makes the cake even more beautiful. And really, and you were talking about balance before, it really balances the sweetness. It just, it makes, you know, it's, it's a it's a play of sweet and tart now. So I think it's, it's I love the cake. I love the way it yeah, looks. Yeah, I do too. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun to make. It's very easy. Um, and it's delicious. I, I want to mention, I'm looking here at the molasses coffee cake. One of the things that um, I got from this cooking with scraps thing is that you're supposed to use your used coffee grounds as a coffee flavoring because they actually it actually works for c- coffee. What do you think of that? Have you that, ever tried it? That I haven't tried that, but um, that's 
interesting. I certainly have enough used coffee grounds every day. Yes, I mean, I, that I can that I can experiment. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I don't know if it works or not, but. And Adore, it's a wonderful book again. I mean, as always. Thank you. Here's the Thank deal. You. Here's the deal, Dory. I want to come and live in your house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody tells well, Dory that. Thank you. Thank you so um, much for joining us today on the menu. It's always a delight. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, Dory, yes. And uh, when do you start your new book? Um. And don't go away because we'll be coming back with another fascinating track right after the break. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.com. Welcome back, and yet again, another just absolutely outstanding author, Julia Tertian, and uh, her book is about something, of course, that I love, Now and Again, which is my favorite food, leftovers, um, but also with ways of, of attracting and putting a diverse group of, of friends around a table, which is what all this stuff is all about, isn't it? We're so happy to be talking to Julia Tarshan again. Um, this is your third appearance, I believe, Julia, on our program. And and with all that you do, we, we could probably have you more frequently than that even. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me back on. I, I love talking with you. Yeah, well, Julia has uh, written some major books. I mean, I, I keep falling in love with these. And and she's in a category. I mean, I have different categories of um, of chefs, cooks, and you're in my thoughtful category, <laughs> intelligent and thoughtful. So that's where you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. And it's a and nice place to be. Yeah. I mean, I have another category called philosopher chef, but that gets a bit complicated. <laughs> that's like Heston Blumenthal, you know. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I like to keep things simple. <laughs> so I, I think this picture of you as a small child with the cooking utensils, a big bowl, um, you're baking something, is just adorable. <laughs> hmm, thank and, you, yeah. And I think you don't look that much different now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like I'm one of those very, very lucky people who's known what they've loved to do forever. Oh, well, you, yeah, how old is this picture where... I think I must have been maybe about six. I'm not sure. Six. Oh, boy, you're already Something cooking. Something like that. Um, now, I want to mention uh, your photographer, too, by the way, David Loftus. Uh, it's yeah. excellent. And it's, I don't know if you can name it for me. There is a new style that I've seen um, happening in cookbook photography like this, which is almost like a, a still life, you know, an old-fashioned regular still life. 
classic. It's not old-fashioned classic still life. I mean, like I'm looking at the cauliflower. Mm, yeah. And it looks like a still. Great. Sure, yeah. So David Loftus is an amazing photographer um, and incredibly easy and fun to work with and does such an extraordinary job of finding um, just beauty in everyday things, you know, a head of cauliflower, um, a pile of, of plates, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah, I like when he mixes the pattern on the, the flatware. Yeah, well, that was very much from um, just my own collection of, oh, of really? flatware. and. Photography for cookbooks is such an interesting process because it really requires a village, and mm-hmm. I was lucky to work with David and, and two amazing women, um, Caroline Lang and, and Tina Wong, and they helped to bring all these photographs to life, and um, it, was, it was an extraordinary time. Well, I hope you enjoyed it because the result is just exceptional. Let's talk about the concept. You said you started out actually writing you were going to write a cookbook about leftovers because you like leftovers so much. Yeah, I think the world can sort of be divided into people who either love or hate leftovers, and I'm definitely someone who loves them, and I was happy to hear you are as well. And oh, yeah. Yeah, my original idea for um, the book was just a book about how much I love leftovers and, and reinventing them, and I came up with what I thought was a very funny title, which was to call it It's Me Again. It's Me Again, yeah. And, yeah, and I thought it would just be all recipes for, um, you know, ways to turn leftovers into something new. But I kept coming up against a problem with that concept, which was, you know, where does the original exactly. come from? <laughs> yeah, and do I give you the recipe for that? And, uh, you know, I, I really believed as a cookbook author um, in giving readers as much information as possible and really packing it in. So I decided to do a a sort of larger book uh, that was more encompassing and to include, uh, you know, menus and all the recipes to make those meals. And, you know, it's this really amazing opportunity for me to share all my favorite memories um, and, you know, all these incredible meals I've, I've had with family and friends and then to follow each menu with ideas for ways to reinvent the leftovers. So that original concept became sort of, um, you know, part of the concept of this book. And I'm, I'm really happy I went in that direction because I think it's a much fuller and richer book. Uh, I think it's much more useful and I think you really uh, get a lot out of it. Well, the other thing that's really cool is the stories, because with every meal there's a story, even even if it's not a very good story. I don't even want to ask you about why. <laughs> and in your case, you have really good stories. Oh yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I I love uh, sharing menus because. With each one, it really is, just as you say, it's sharing a story. Um, wonderful about Now and Again is that all of the recipes are written in the context of menus. And with each menu, I get the opportunity to tell a story. And it's not just a story about, you know, when I ate this meal and who I ate it with. It's also the story the, the dishes themselves tell and the relationship they have with each other. Yeah, um, why don't, can you just pick one of the recipe, one of the, uh, the menus uh, and walk our listeners through how you handle that with the story and the, the make-ahead notes and, and then the recipes. What? How did you organize this book? Sure, yeah, I'd love to walk you through one. So the book is organized by season. Uh, so it's broken down into, you know, fall, winter, spring, summer. And 
each season includes a number of menus, and each menu includes all the recipes you need to make the whole meal, uh, and it gives you guidance on, you know, what you can make ahead and when, and then every single menu is followed by ideas for ways to reinvent the leftovers. So yes. I'm just going to open the book okay, <laughs> and okay. tell you about whichever one it lands on. Um, so, yeah, okay, so the chili and cornbread lunch. Um, that's a menu in in the in the winter season. Um, you know, and I had it open. Believe it or not, I actually had this open. No open. way! Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, Funny. I love this menu. I think it is really indicative of of the whole book, and uh, it includes recipes for a chicken and black eyed pea chili and skillet cornbread that has cheddar cheese and scallions in it. It's so delicious. <laughs> And then a really crunchy, delicious uh, romaine and celery salad that has a buttermilk ranch dressing. And for dessert, caramelized bananas with sour cream and brown sugar. And this menu, the story behind it is my wife and I live about an hour and a half away from my parents. And we've decided it's it's just the perfect distance <laughs> because my parents are close enough that they can come for lunch and that doesn't have to be a big deal and you know no one has to arrange any significant you know travel or staying over or anything like that right. so we have them over for lunch all the time and we we love it um i think they enjoy it too and it's it's such a nice way to spend time together and i always love to make something that i can make pretty much all ahead of time so that when they get here you know i can just be present and enjoy their company you know not be stressed out in the kitchen uh, so this menu really suits suits the bill, and um, you know the chili is not only something you can make ahead of time; it's it's better if you make it ahead. Yes, it uh, is. And the the cornbread can just sit in its skillet, uh, and you know be ready for you whenever you're ready. And you can make the salad dressing, you know, a while ahead. Put it in the bottom of the bowl and pile the lettuce on top, and just toss it together. You know, the moment everyone sits down. So it's it's a really just easy menu and. Some of the ways I suggested to reinvent the leftovers are if you have extra of that chicken and black-eyed pea chili, you can make delicious nachos and <laughs> pile that chili onto the nachos. Um, the cornbread can turn into incredible cornbread stuffing, uh, which is one of my favorite things. It's so good with, you know, yeah, roast chicken or roast turkey. And then, um, yeah, the last idea was uh, a really fun one, which is if you have lots of leftover romaine and celery from that salad, you can make something totally different and actually cook the lettuce and the celery and stir-fry it with lots of garlic and ginger. Um, that sounds I think a lot so of people wonderful. don't think to cook lettuce and celery, but they're delicious. Now, um, does Grace cook? Yeah, Grace, my wife, cooks a lot. Um, she she often makes breakfast, and she's a great cook. And oh, okay. she yeah, I, I'm very, very lucky. <laughs> She's and, also great at washing dishes, which I appreciate. Well, that's that's what you did. one of my favorite sections here is how to delegate. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at the back of the book, there's uh, seven lists, and they're all just really helpful lists. And each list has seven items on it, so you get you know. 49, you know, close to 50 sort of extra ideas is how I think of it. And one of those um, is, you know, seven great things to delegate, which I think is an important thing for all of us home cooks to keep in mind because you don't have to do everything. Okay, so so what are the seven things you can delegate? Sure. One is um, to have someone bring ice. <laughs> um, this is especially great if you're having a large number of people or if it's in the summertime, uh, you know, you can never have too much ice when you're having people over, whether it's for drinks or to keep things cool. 
And it's not usually something, unless you have a large, you know, chest freezer or something, it's not really something you can get ahead of time if you don't have the space to store it. Um, so I love, you know, when people are like, what can I, what can I bring? Um, assigning, you know, one or two bags of ice <laughs> is a great thing, and it's, you know, something you can cross off your list. And another idea I love across the same lines is to have someone else bring flowers and arrange them. Um, you know, it really... Yeah, and arrange the them. I noticed that you said arrange them because the thing that I hate the most is if you have like a dinner party scheduled and somebody comes in and, and thrusts a bunch of flowers at you that you have to stop cooking and put in water. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah, no, and I think I think a lot of people, um, when when you have them over, if you go to someone's house, I think people really want to be useful, <laughs> and so I think having things in mind for them to do is great, and especially when it just adds to the overall kind of atmosphere and feeling. So, you know, flowers, music is another thing you can assign. Um, alcohol is another thing you can assign, which is great because it um, offsets the cost so much. I think often. If you're serving alcohol with a meal, that is usually the most expensive thing. So, you know, it's That's nice true. to not be financially responsible for the whole meal. And remember, Rabbit, the, the, along these lines, one of the most fun parties we ever did was the one we had. We were in D.C., and the, it was before we had access to the cultured mussels so readily. And so oh, yes. yeah, we had we bought all these mussels. I mean, uh, tons of them, and um, I had the scraper and the wire, um, whatever scrubber. And as people came in, I led them up, and they each took their turn cleaning the muscles. <laughs> I love that. It was good. It was good. They loved it. I mean, the, the guests loved it. The, the thing, the thing I like the best, quite honestly, is when, when, when people will clear afterwards. Oh, yeah, right. Well, she has that in here, too. Yeah, well, I'm not surprising. We we have some friends who are just, they're just really good at that. I mean, yeah. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a real pain in the ass. The only person I ever knew who liked clearing the table was my stepfather, Frank Davidson. <laughs> but we discovered after years of him doing that that the main reason they did it is because it meant he could get a chance at the leftovers before anybody else. <laughs> Yeah, well, Peter so, grew up so, in wartime England, so, so left yeah, so, leftovers so, were very choice. Yeah, so Frank Frank liked instant leftovers. <laughs> so then you have also seven things to bring when you're invited to dinner, and that's nice. And uh, well, we just talked about the liquor, um, and uh, here you, so we talked about cooked rice. That's another one that's good. Now, what do you say? Here, I wanted to point out, by the way, that your your dinners, um, are, I mean, these are complete menus. Um, so here's like the one I, I liked was just my type of dinner. Huh, yes. Yeah, and and so you have the confetti meatloaf, creamy garlic mashed cauliflower, which sounds sublime. I never get cauliflower right. I don't know what I do wrong with it, but. Um, and butter lettuce with shallot vinaigrette, and then you have dessert, raspberries with cocoa whipped cream. So you have that, and then you have your story. What, do you, what was your story here? Sure, yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, my wife Grace was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And do you know that really is funny? Is so many people I know 
they used to call it juvenile diabetes, but it's yeah. not. It's late yeah, onset. Yeah, it's a misnomer. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's definitely something that uh, you can, yeah, get diagnosed with as an adult and, you know, and also very, um, you know, healthfully live with. And, uh, you know, it requires a lot of, of tools and maintenance. Uh, yes. But she does an incredible job of navigating it. And along with her diagnosis came a lot of changes to um, what and how she eats and in turn what and how we eat together as a family. And it, uh, you know, definitely transformed our, our pantry and and things we eat. So that menu, it's called Just My Type of Dinner, sort of as a nod to Grace, uh, who lives with type 1 diabetes, and she's also just my type. Yeah. <laughs> so there's and what's on this a menu? few puns there. What's on this menu? I just read it all. You did? Yes, you didn't hear. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and I can right. tell you a bit more about it if you'd like. Sure. Um, Go for because it. the it's a turkey meatloaf that uh, doesn't have any... Um, breadcrumbs in it to kind of cut down on the Carbs. the carbohydrate level right. there, which is something that Grace has to be mindful of. Yeah, because carbos turn into sugar. Yeah, mm. and the mashed cauliflower with garlic, which is delicious, um, is an alternative to, you know, regular old mashed potatoes. Right. And the, um, the salad is just a great salad, and it gives you, you know, a nice vinegary, sharp thing to kind of offset the richness of everything else and the dessert is this really simple whipped cream uh, with chocolate and it's you know no extra sugar or anything like that and it's just served with fresh raspberries and it's it's just a really um, sort of simple but thoughtful menu and it's very much uh, about you know what we really eat together and about how you can eat you know, really healthy, delicious food and that everyone enjoys no matter what your health circumstances are. And then, of course, the, the, I think that the, most, most people worry the most about bringing it all together. And so you have this, like, um, column of prep up to three days ahead and you say what you can do, up to one day ahead and you say what you can do, and then the last moment you say what you could do. And that's the secret. It's getting all to come out at the same time, right? Yeah, yeah. So every single menu has that timetable um, right on the first page of the menu so that if you want to, you know, do a lot in advance, it tells you exactly what, what you can do. Um, and, you know, you can work as far in advance as you like. And the the point of including that for me was to just make it really clear that you don't have to do everything all at once and that, uh, you know, you can really, you know, get ahead and, and give yourself a hand um, and make it really tips. easy when it's time to sit down and eat so that you're not uh, stressed out. And I think, you know, cooking at home for me is the thing that brings me so much joy in my life and it, it makes me feel calm. And I think for so many people it makes them feel the opposite of that. So I wanted to include, you know, all the information I've, I've gathered to hopefully help other people feel just as relaxed. Well, yeah. And you anticipate what people need in order to get that sense of relaxation, too, which is why your books are so special and why they win Thank awards. Um, so then following that, there is a, a double-page photograph of you preparing, and then you have the individual recipes after that, and then you have It's Me Again, and that's where the leftovers come in. It's brilliant. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Well, this cookbook is going to be a smash hit and probably another another award for you. Just 
divert a little bit is you did a project that I was in great admiration of. Explain EATT. Sure, yeah, I'm so thrilled to talk about it. Um, so I guess it was uh, April, um, so a couple months ago, I launched a website um, called Equity at the Table, and the initials for that are just what you said, E-A-T-T. Um, so EAT with two T's, and it's easy to remember. Yeah. And EAT is a digital directory, um, and it's a really useful resource and a helpful tool, and it's a directory of, of women and uh, non-binary individuals who work in food, and you can search via profession, and we have everything from, you know, other cookbook authors like myself to farmers and chefs and uh, folks who make cheese and pickles and uh, people who photograph food and, and on and on. So you can search by profession, and you can also search by location and also identification. Um, so for identification, it's, you know, whatever your your background or, you know, identity is. So if you're for example, uh, you know, an editor of, of a magazine or you're organizing a conference and, you know, you want someone uh, who, you know, is from the Caribbean to speak about Caribbean cuisine, you can search and find them. Um, if you're looking for someone who identifies as, you know, LGBTQ and, you know, who also specializes in, let's say, wine, uh, you can find them as well. <laughs> so it's a really uh, just... Yeah, really useful tool, and I'm so proud of it. And I built it with an incredible web designer and, and a wonderful advisory board. And it's it's from just a really wonderful community. And what is the the URL on that? Sure, it's just equityatthetable.com. So it's all it's all spelled out. Yeah, all spelled out, all one word. At the table dot Com. And maybe you should, I mean, it's obvious to most of us, but maybe you should just explain to the listeners what your motivation was in doing that. Sure, yeah. Um, there are a few motivations, and mostly I, I just felt like I, you know, when I look at food magazines and, and cookbooks and, you know, this corner of the food world that I spend time in, um, I, I see so many amazing stories and people, and I also realize how many I don't see. Um, yes. And I think that's true in so many other, you know, facets of the industry, whether it's, you know, in restaurants or farms. And so I wanted to just create a tool that people could use to find more people um, and to find the people we don't hear from enough, which to me are, are women and particularly women of color and women in the queer community. And I'm I'm so proud of the database because I think it really just proves that there's so many of us and there's so many stories to tell. And what's been really wonderful is it's not only a tool for people to, you know, to find members. Um, it's also been a, a really great way for all of us who are on the site to connect with each other and to expand our own personal communities oh, and so even just our, our, our friendships and to get to know other on. colleagues and. I think it's very powerful to, uh, you know, if you're thinking about doing something professionally, to see someone who looks like you doing it. And that, in so many ways, is, is really the goal of EAT. Yeah, but you you quoted somebody who told you, gave you a good piece of advice, is something about um, having a table with diners. And I, I speak about that. I... 
you know, as much as I love cooking and love food, and it's it's my whole life, um, I think the most valuable thing about cooking is that it's it gives you a way to gather people together um, and to create connections and and community and to maintain relationships to create new ones. And when I was thinking about all that, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a fellow cookbook author named Nicole Taylor. She's amazing. She wrote a book called The Up South Cookbook. And uh, Nicole and I were talking, and she asked me a question that really just caught me, and it, and it challenged me, and I think it really changed me. And she asked me, when was the last time I invited someone who doesn't look like me to my table? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a reminder that, you know, not only can you, you know, maintain already existing relationships through cooking for your loved ones, you know, your friends, your family, um, you can also create new ones and you can get to know people who uh, who are different than you, which at the end of the day, I think is, is just the highest power food offers us. And, you know, it can be someone who doesn't look like you, it can also be someone who doesn't think like you, you know, whatever the difference may be, I think food gives us something, you know, that we can share. Well, your conclusion is what I take as an invitation. You say, you're always welcome at my table. So I took that as an invitation. Well, you are. <laughs> Anytime. Julia Tershin, the book is now and again. And uh, I, I just, I, I hope you get success with this book. You have it with previous books. And this one's a winner, too. Thank well, you Thank for you talking. so much. I yeah. really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Julia. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Finally, um, another issue that's in everybody's minds um, and uh, food insecurity, food waste. Uh, Lindsay Jean Hard, uh, who is um, a fellow Wolverine, I might add, she lives in, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, it's called Cooking with Scraps. And she has, uh, first of all, surprised me with, I couldn't even believe that people would not eat broccoli stems or um, Swiss chard stems. But well, I they, guess that's she, although I must say she introduced some new ones to that category, such as peanut shells and banana peels. <laughs> so, so, the, so, so this is sort of sort of like leftovers, but really sort of never the wases rather than yeah, leftovers. Exactly. So, so here's the, here's the never wases. What's the title of the book? Cooking with scraps. Right. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Lindsay Jean Hard, you are... Right on trend here, not a trend because it's too serious to be a trend, um, a- addressing the, few, the food insecurities. Your book, Cooking with Scraps, will open an awful lot of eyes to uh, how we get this number that 
of food in, in the U.S. goes to waste. Um, tell us how you awakened all of this and how you propose dealing with it. Well, I first, I really got into food and produce when I was living in Japan for a couple of years with my husband, and we joined a CSA, and so we were walking down to our local little neighborhood grocery store and picking up this box of produce that had been grown by local farmers, and it really, you know, not only was I learning about produce that I had never seen or cooked with before, but it also really made me want to be putting all of it to good use because I was just thinking about it more that, wow, this was grown by someone close to me, like, I just connected more with the person and the effort that had gone into it, and so I wanted to be honoring that produce in a way. And um, eventually, when we had moved back to the United States and I started working for Food52.com, a food and lifestyle website, um, I had a number of different columns, but one of them was cooking with scraps. And um, it was just this really nice combination of that love of food and writing. And I would search through the community's recipes that had been uploaded to food52.com and look for ones that were making smart use of underutilized produce parts and other odds and ends. And then I would feature that and share that with the community. And I just learned so much during that process that I then wanted to share that with a larger audience. And that's where this cookbook was born. Is it subtitled, Turn Your Peels, Cores, Rinds, and Stems into Delicious Meals? And it is kind of amazing that people don't think about using parts of vegetables and fruits that are not common. Yeah, you know, I think it speaks from a, a place of privilege that many of us are right now that we don't have to do that. But I think it's become ingrained a little bit that we'll we'll read a recipe and it'll tell us to cut and discard, you know, a stem or a top or something. And we're, many of us are in the position of being able to do that without thinking about it. And so it's really a mental shift that we need to recognize that these things are edible and that we should be taking the time to use them and eat them and enjoy them. Yeah, I mean, you have a lot of, I think, People will find a lot of revelations as to um, things they're discarding that would be perfectly, the perfectly fine and nutritious. Um, some of the the things, well, I mean, I would say stems, of course, but um, you you find some unusual uses for there there are things that I didn't know about at all, and one of them is uh, banana peels. I think that might be the one that most people are the most surprised about in the book, yes. I'm using banana peels. Um, I'm cooking them and blending them so it becomes kind of like a fruit puree and then using that in a cake, and it just gives a really nice lightness and like a bouncy texture to the cake, and it still gives um, not an intense banana flavor but definitely a banana-ish flavor to the cake. Uh, now, tell us about... Um Peanut shells. <laughs> I really found that one kind of difficult to digest. <laughs> Shall we say? Well, it would be a little bit difficult to digest, I think, if you were eating them. Um, but I'm using them to infuse their flavor and all of that salty goodness um, into a pot cheese. So it becomes this just nice, spreadable, sort of ricotta-ish um, that has that peanut flavor and nice saltiness. 
you know, I mean, Italian grandmothers have known for centuries about the heels of Parmesan cheese, the rinds. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think a lot of us, you know, will know to add them to um, a pot of beans or soup to add some extra flavor, but I just find it so handy to start collecting them in the freezer because it's great to build up a a whole supply of them because then you can turn them into a cheese spread all on their own. Now, you you also do the same with bits of cheddar too, right? Yeah, I tend to keep three different bags going in my freezer. One um, for Parmesan, uh, one for like blue cheese because it's so strong, and then one for everything else. Yeah, you also explain how how people should uh, take care of this, keep them accumulating and and so forth. Um, That's very important because most people, so you say save your uh, your cilantro stems, but then what do you do with them? Yeah, you know, storage is a really big part of us not wasting the food in in the beginning. You know, if we're taking the time when we come home from the market with those beets and carrots to make sure that we're taking that extra step to cut off the leafy tops from the roots so that both parts last longer and we have a better chance of using both of the parts. I mean, I, I can't imagine that people throw away their mushroom stems. That, that's <laughs> I'm hardcore. (laughs) Yeah, I think that you're a step ahead for sure. (laughs) Well, I mean, that probably comes from being raised in an Italian, a Sicilian, particularly child um, house. I mean, because it is a a cucina povera sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, you were a little surprised that I ate corn cobs. (laughs) Yes, I, yes, I. (laughs) <laughs> I need to hear more about this. You are definitely hardcore. I'm impressed. She used to eat lobster shells. Oh, yeah, I did. Until, too. I forgot just, about that. Until she got sick I one got time, sick. and that was, that was enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, I found out that there's a limit to how many lobster shells you can consume without getting sick. <laughs> but I, I figured that there was a part of me needing the, um, uh, what is it you get? Calcium. Calcium, I guess. Yes, oh, yes. No, not <laughs> calcium, iodine is what I'm thinking. Oh, okay, all right. I think the iodine from seafood shells. I mean, I, ah. I still eat, like, shrimp sh- shrimp shells. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my husband nibbles on shrimp shells also. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, we're having shrimp tonight, and you can have all the stems. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, what, so you, you're explaining to people... First of all, you know, one of the hard things that you need to educate the sellers of produce, the green grocers and supermarkets, about keeping their all the parts of the vegetables healthy. You know, like, I, I don't know how many times we buy beets and the tops aren't worth eating. No, the, the, yeah. the good thing, I mean, it's it's a good thing for us as buyers, I guess, that they have what they call... Loose beets, so you're so you're not paying for the for the tops which have been abused, but at the same time, it's somebody somebody somewhere is intervening and throwing them away. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, but no, well, we eat radish well, tops I did, yeah, constantly. I, I, did, I discovered that if you're careful sorting through the bin of radishes, then you can you can find a a green vegetable 
as, as well as a salad making chip. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. So, so, so I'm the one. Who, I was ahead of you at Whole Foods. I'm the one who went through the entire stack of radishes <laughs> to, 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 to find the ones that had the most pristine leaves left over. <laughs> yeah, no. I do that too. You do that too. <laughs> Stay away from my Whole Food Market. <laughs> that's my that's my turf. <laughs> so, you know, now the I I don't know about carrots. Um, that's one thing we don't eat the carrot top so much. But I I'm not crazy about carrots at all, and they seem to be very favored right at the moment. People, the roots or the tops? You're not a fan of. Both. Yeah, I mean... It's Both. I mean, poor, poor, help, poor helpless carrots. They, they didn't <laughs> do anything wrong. My aunt doesn't like them. I have no idea. I don't know either. But and the other thing, I can't believe people don't eat the broccoli stems. I mean... I know. That one, yeah. I feel like that one's probably the most popular one. So I feel like we're shifting to a point of that more people appreciate the stem. But that one is just so good. I, I don't understand how people would discard yeah. that one. Yeah, a, a friend of mine, um, I inexplicably for a while back started losing weight and she was in my kitchen and I was preparing broccoli and I was munching on the uh, the stems. And she said, that's why you're losing weight. There's nothing wrong with your health. It's that you're eating hard to digest things raw because I was eating the raw, of course. Yeah. So um, I, some of these are ingenious recipes in here like, Never would I imagine, and we have beets in the refrigerator at all times, a beet peel margarita. That's creative. <laughs> oh, thank you. I love I love that one. I mean, I love beets anyway, but then just there, it doesn't take much peel at all to be able to give a great amount of flavor and color to that tequila. So it's just a really fun one. Yeah, I, I, I laugh when you talk about preparing beets, expect to have your pink hands, and it's true. <laughs> yeah, pink everything, but it's worth it. <laughs> well, how did you hit on something like, um, was it, what was this pizza with eggplant and beets? Was it eggplant and beets? Eggplant and something. Yeah, the beet green. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought that's kind of a stretch. I wouldn't have even thought about that one. Yeah, I know. Um, that one came from... Um, Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen has a grilled eggplant and olive pizza recipe that I just love. And it was, I don't know, I, it converted me into an eggplant lover. And I normally prefer pizzas without a ton of toppings on that. And there's just a ton of toppings loaded on hers. And somehow it just works. And so that was the inspiration for this one. And I really like the beet greens and the eggplant together. I, I'm, I'm glad you agree with me. The best thing to do with stale bread is make breadcrumbs and put them in the freezer yeah it's just they're so handy to have on hand and if you're freezing the breadcrumbs and if you're freezing like crouton shaped pieces i mean it's just a great way to add another dimension of texture to a dish and it's on hand waiting for you in the freezer when you need it yeah tell tell our listeners about aquafaba i mean that's people never ever bought it with that and now it's i guess because of vegetarians it became a big thing yeah, it's becoming a lot more popular lately. So aquafaba is the name for the cooking liquid from beans. So it could be from cooking beans 
like dried on your own. Um, if you haven't ever worked with it before, I think it's easier to work with the liquid that comes in a can of beans. Um, yeah, I to think start so with. too. Yeah, do, yeah, but it, now how it does whips that, up. How does that get there, though? I mean, is it, is it really just water? Or, and uh, and then there's some, some, some of the bean gets dissolved in the water? Or? I mean, how 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 it? What is aquafaba? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, how is it, how does it get created? Um, well, it's just it's the cooking liquid from the beans. So when you're if you've got dried beans and you're adding water to it and cooking it, yeah, it's just how that water changes from cooking the beans in it, and it whips up just like egg whites do. It's wild. Okay, so so what's happening if I if I'm opening a can of garbanzo beans, for example, or cannellini beans? What what's in there is the originally the dried bean cooked with and and then it's been cooked and then the cooking process stops and you, somebody puts it in a can and sells it to you. Yep. Yes. <laughs> and, but, but, you, but you don't rinse it off. I used to I used to rinse it off, especially off. Of well, yeah, you can be you can be using that to turn it into something else, like mayonnaise, or whip it up and make baked goods with it, like brownies. You, you, you know, know. We, we we learn. That's a good thing. That's a good thing about the on the menu program. We learn. We learn more than our listeners do, because <laughs> we, we listen to every episode. <laughs> Tell me about the cashew pulp. Yeah. So, and it could be other kinds of nut pulps too. Like if you're making your own, whatever kind of nut milk that you're making. Mm-hmm. Um, you're presumably, you then have those nut pulps, the rest of the nuts, soaked nuts left over. Um, and I think that they're really still handy and useful. Um, I use them in a couple of different ways in the cookbook. Um, one, they become sort of like um, a tuna salad. Um, so sort of, I also make like a, a tuna salad with chickpeas. So it's the same sort of thing, like a vegetarian or vegan um mashed salad, sort of, like like you would with tuna salad, but with cashew pulp, in this case. Um, and it's really surprisingly flavorful. I like using it on sandwiches or with crackers. Um, and then in the other one, I'm using it as a filling um, for, it's kind of, it's um Oigirazu, and so it's kind of a mashup between um, like a rice ball and rolled sushi in a sandwich. So it's like uh, a layer of nori, and then rice, and then cashew pulp, and then a you know some other fillings, um, and then you know the same thing with the rice and the nori, and so it becomes like a sandwich with these filling ingredients in it. Hmm. Now you have a number of, of, of uses for seeds. Uh, cantaloupe seeds, I never thought of using, actually. Yeah, so most of those, you know, melon and squash seeds, I think a lot of times will roast pumpkin seeds. Yes. But we can be doing the same thing with melon seeds and butternut squash seeds and any of those these seeds that we're getting from squash, we can do the same thing with. What about watermelon? Um, yeah, you could with watermelon, too. i more work, obviously, since you should be separating them out um, individually instead of having a clump of them, but you could roast watermelon seeds as well. Well, I'll tell you, anybody that 
I mean, this 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 is an inspiration. It really is. Um, I'm not sure about stone fruit yet. Um, I remember we went to a period where uh, apricot seeds, the inside, not the shelly part, the part you're talking yep. about, okay, um, that were viewed by sort of crackpots as um, a prevention of cancer. We went through some kind of weird thing oh. like that. And then they were discovered to have arsenic in them. <laughs> So, I mean, there are some, I guess, too much of anything is dangerous, right? Yeah. So, so you can yeah. always serve rhubarb, rhubarb leaves with some, <laughs> ars- ars- some arsenic-infused apricot <laughs> seeds. <laughs> Tell me, what, why not, right? what, what is it with the wives, rhubarb leaves? Why are they poisonous? I know. That's such a good question. I don't know. I mean, it just seems like it's stupid of the part of Mother Nature to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wish, yeah, I wish I knew what Mother Nature was thinking there with that defense mechanism. (laughs) Well, Mother Nature was obviously very confused since, since for all the world it looks like a fruit and it's actually a vegetable. That's true too. Yeah. So, so so Mother Nature. Tomatoes are fruits. Yeah, Mother Nature was already confused. So, well, anyhow, you, you have all kinds of things here. You have infused alcohols, you have infused vinegars, um, you have great mashups of empty the fridge kind of thing, empty the hydrator, um, kinds of recipes. It, it's something that really is, um, it, it's important for everybody to take on as a challenge. And, and I yeah, told you that, yeah. yeah, it's right on target because it's worrying everybody. It's, uh, yeah, it's I, I, you. What's his name? Master Babatura, um It has tackled that, as I told you, and we just went to a dinner for four one two food rescue, where all of these scraps are gathered together and made into gourmet foods. And so it's it's possible. It's not only desirable; it's becoming essential. I think. So I, I wish yeah. you a great deal of luck with with this. Not luck, but success, because you don't need luck. Uh, again, it's Lindsay Jean Hard, and the book is called Cooking with Scraps. And believe me, it's going to change your kitchen all around. I mean, <laughs> you, you'll notice things you never noticed before. So, oh, thank you. Thank you for talking to us, Lindsay Jean. Thank you so much for having me. That's a wrap for today, which is, in fact, our very last program in 2018. So when next we meet, it will be 2019, and then we will by then be in our 16th year, hard to believe, of broadcasting. And we, in, the, in the meantime, we, we wish you all a very happy and very prosperous new year. We hope that... Uh, the world calms down and everybody gets back into a rational order. <laughs> and, and you'll stay with your regular Sunday habit of listening to On The Menu Radio or whenever you do listen to it, because, of course, you can listen to it anytime, anytime you like. Uh, but we're, we're here in the studio. We're signing off again. So what do we say? Bye-bye.